And it is Denver Sports tonight on this Monday night in the Mile High City. He's James Merrillat. I'm Will Peterson. We'll roll with you for the next 90 minutes. A little bonus DST tonight as we take you into the Lakers and Warriors game four out in Los Angeles. James, you uh, buckled in for a little extended edition of the show? Heck yeah. Who doesn't like a little uh, little extra DST? Well, we certainly have plenty to talk about. Man, uh, it felt like this series was spicy, right? Through, through three games, it was spicy. But it hit a whole new level of unbearable because of what happened last night and what overshadowed a great game from Nikola Jokic, great games from Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. I mean, James, if I had told you 24 hours ago, hey, uh, Nuggets Suns is going to lead every national talk show, radio, TV tomorrow, you'd say, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Big game Sunday night. Sure. But if I had told you it will lead for something that wasn't about the basketball game necessarily, but an incident between Nikola Jokic and the owner of the Suns, your reaction would have been what? Uh, what on earth could that have possibly been? Yeah, it, 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 yeah I, I would have had a hard time coming up with uh, a, a scenario where that would have made any sense to me. And what we saw last night was bizarre. I mean, I can't really remember ever seeing anything quite like it. I do think ultimately it's kind of been... Uh, the proverbial mountain out of a molehill. And, and that's because it was so unusual. It was so weird. But for people to act like Nikola Jokic, you know, shoved the owner to the ground and threw an elbow and some of the times th- things you hear, I think are preposterous. I think some of the things being said about Ishbia are a little bit off. I think in general, Will, it was two guys just kind of naturally reacting in the situation. Like if the ball came to you, and it was the Suns, and you were sitting courtside, are you 100% sure you wouldn't just kind of clutch it and not let Kevin Durant or Devin Booker have it? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? especially in the heat of the moment, you're okay. trying to give your team any little competitive advantage you can, I guess. It's a it's a natural instinct, natural kind of reaction. And then I think what Jokic did of going over and trying to get the ball, and, you know, he gets this guy start kind of putting hands on him, and he pushes people away or just kind of throws his arms out to clear people away. I think that's a natural reaction, too. So um, I, I don't necessarily look at it the same way as, I guess, most people of, like, who's at fault? I do think Ishbia is probably more at fault than, than Jokic, but I just think it was kind of one of those heat-of-the-moments, quirky things, weird things. Not everything has to be a federal case. Not everything has to, you know, have uh, char- charges filed. Sometimes you just need to go, whoo, that one was weird, and then move on. And I don't think there should have been a technical file last night. I don't think there should have been a suspension or a fine today. He did get the T last night. He got the $25,000 fine today. So, okay, we can all move on and uh, should make for an interesting game five. Will Ishbia be in the building? Oh, man, I hope so. I said at the end of the drive, I hope he's sitting courtside and Derek Wolf plops right next to him because <laughs> I got a little different take than you on this okay. one, James. Okay. I think Matt Ishbia is villain number one in Denver uh, right now. And you are- you are a piece of work. And though. thank goodness he did not buy the Denver Broncos. But, oh you know, that's gosh. that's the underreported part of this is Matt Ishbia came darn close to buying the Broncos. I am so happy Robson Walton outbid him because I don't want that snake owning my favorite football team. <laughs> I think the Broncos, snake. yeah, that snake. That was an all-time flop last night, James. Uh, okay, it was a flop, so... I mean, we still and see that all made the time. Manu Ginobili look tame. Matt Ishbia should go play soccer in Latvia with that kind of actions. 
<laughs> I'm not saying he didn't flop. I'm not saying he didn't try to sell it. Uh, I, again, I think that uh, that in today's world, that's almost become a natural reaction too. I just have a hard time making Matt Ishbia uh, public enemy number one, and I'm glad he didn't buy the Broncos. And he's a snake, man. That is that is harsh. Do you really want that guy in charge of your your favorite football team? If he he's trying to become a character, James, he thinks he thinks he's Vince McMahon. He thinks he's some sort of wrestling sideshow. Like last time I checked, Matt, basketball's real life, wrestling's fake. If you want to own something and insert yourself in it, go get a stake in the WWE or WWF, whatever it's called these days. Well, you're that- you're a fan. Act like a fan. And uh, honestly, if he was anyone else, James, he would have been ejected with his behavior last night. I don't disagree with that. But what other instance do we have, and maybe there are some, and I just don't know about it, where he's been trying to be a part of the act and part of the show? Well, he's been in this league for 15 minutes, dude. Like, he's been literally in the league for, what, two, two, three months? And I he's, get it. He's and he done the somebody who, are, are, are we not happy that guy's gone? And Well, of course we're happy that guy's gone. In here now? I'm not comparing him to the last guy, but he's he's done every single media tour. He's a little mini wannabe Mark Cuban. Matt Ishbia's angling for a job on Shark Tank. I look, just, look, I don't like him because he owns the team that my team is playing against. I, I And I understand the venom about that. But if I'm just being fair... I really think if I happened to be a billionaire and own the Nuggets, that's how I would act. I'd be sitting courtside, and, and I'd be John with Durant and Booker and giving them a hard time, and I'd be all over Tony Brothers. I, I'm just I'm just looking at it objectively and being honest and trying to put myself in Matt Ishbia's very expensive you know, custom shoes, and, and, and I just don't think he was so out of line and so egregious that he should be vilified in, in quite the way he has been around this town. Well, you asked, you, you didn't, you got my mind churning because you did say, I don't know if this has ever happened before. Yeah, if, if it's a pattern, then it's a different conversation. Okay, but I have a different example. There was an incident, and, and you may have to help me fill in the details. Maybe KJ can help look this up for us a little bit too. But there was an incident in the 2009 Western Conference semifinals between the aforementioned Mark Cuban and Kenyon Martin. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was Kenyon Martin's mother, I believe. Oh, and that I, you're right. And that ticked Kenyon off even more because obviously he's going to be protective of his mom. In game three, I want to say, in Dallas, which the Nuggets won, Melo hit a uh, three where they were trying to intentionally foul him and they didn't call it. Remember that? And then he hit it. And they won game three, wound up losing game four, but won the series in five. And I want to say it was an incident in Dallas between Kenyon Martin's mom and Mark Cuban. Yeah, that that actually is ringing bells now, right? So, But again, I just said Matt Ishbia is this little wannabe Mark Cuban 2.0. He wants the celebrity. He wants the fame. He wants to insert himself in the action, as Nikola Jokic said last night, that he made himself a part of the basketball game. And it makes sense that the incident I recall involved Cuban and Kenyon Martin and Kenyon Martin's mom to some extent. And now here we are 15 years, 14 years later, and the incident involves Ishbia and Jokic. It's like, dude, you've been in the league for two months. You think you're a little mini Cuban junior. And guess what? Just 60 days in, you got to act like Cuban on national TV and become a big part of the national story. Look, do I think he should act with a little more decorum? And when the ball comes to him, be looking for a ref or a player to, to toss it to? Of course. Uh, you know, whether that's how a fan should act. If you're an owner, that's certainly how you should act. Um, but do I think the fact that he, you know, kind of held it and again, acted like, you know, I think a lot of us might have or, or may have in that situation. 
I, I just don't know that he's got this like pattern of behavior that he's trying to be Mark Cuban 2.0. I guess I also don't look at trying to be Mark Cuban 2.0 as as big an insult as you do. I think Mark Cuban's been a pretty good owner. I was in Dallas right before he bought that team, and boy, talk about it, just a. Uh, moribund franchise like they were there was nobody going to those games they were dreadful they were awful they've won a title they've been competitive most years he spends money on the team uh i I just you know i I don't know that having more mark cubans in the nba is the worst thing in the world well i think mark cuban's growing up a lot over the years right there's a difference between mark cuban of the early mid-2000s and mark cuban sitting on the 17th season of shark tank right i think i like the younger version of mark cuban better well, he had a lot more fire and sort of sort of in him at that point. Yeah, he's, I like when he says that whatever official couldn't be, you know shouldn't be ref in a playoff game. He couldn't manage a Dairy Queen. I like that. And then it, you know he goes out and he works at the Dairy Queen to try and you know wasn't trying to insult Dairy Queen employees. He was just picking a random company. I, I, I like that kind of stuff. I, I get so tired of everybody just being vanilla and homogenized, and we all have to say and think the exact same thing. And heaven forbid you criticize. Uh, an NBA official, which they were awful last night. Awful. Hey, once again, a last two minutes report shows that the Nuggets got a bad whistle. Raise your hand if you're shocked by that. I'm certainly not. Tony Brothers, the crew chief, oh. not shocking to anyone. Why Tony Brothers gets assigned to a Nuggets game is beyond me. I feel like there's eight uh, eight refs in the NBA because we get Tony Brothers all the time. And there, there were, I mean... The jump ball that they didn't see DeAndre Ayton put his hand on Nikola Jokic's shoulder. I mean, just play after play after play that was ridiculous. I, I think that was more egregious than what and more offensive to me than what Matt Ishbia did. Um, and I wish somebody would call him out. Uh, hey, here's a question: Where are the Nuggets? Where's the Nuggets front office today? Uh, Calvin Booth, Josh Kroenke. You mean anybody? Yeah, I mean they've let Michael Malone and. Nicole Jokic talk about it, but if I was the owner of the team and that's how the owner of the opposition acted, I would have something to say about it. Where do is you, he? Do you, do you think Josh Kroenke should make a statement and sit courtside tomorrow night? Yeah, I do. I, I would do. actually like to see that. That that thought crossed my mind today. Just to sort of have Jokic's back and put in the league's head. I, I'm not saying Josh Kroenke needs to do anything outrageous or trip no, Kevin Durant or, you know, whatever. But just sort of plant the seed of like, you know what, that dude wants to sit courtside? I'll sit courtside too and let's even this thing up. I think Josh Kroenke would be a, a very smart man to make himself very visible tomorrow night at Ball Arena. I, I do think so. Yeah, and, and look, I'm, I'm with you. I don't expect him to go down there and get into it with anybody. But I, I think just being visible, I think – I think you should. He should have made a statement today, or maybe he can tomorrow before Game Five, when you know the the national media and the and TNT and everybody's eyes are on Denver. Of uh, hey, it, look, I don't necessarily agree with this because I don't think what Ishbia did is a big deal. But if I'm the owner of the Nuggets, I'm taking. I'm, I've got my players back, and I'm probably coming out and sounding a little bit more like you here. Of hey, that's nonsense, and we're not going to have this series dictated by. The five guys on the court, plus whoever on the on the sideline wants to get involved in in play, that that can't be acceptable. I think he should come out and criticize the league for finding Nikola Jokic and not finding Matt Ishbia. There's another preposterous portion of this. I, I think it's something that should be publicly addressed. I think you. I think the the organization needs to publicly have the back of their star player, of their two time MVP, 
and at least issue some sort of comment. And I think even better would be to uh, to meet with the media and, and address it head on. Or how about bring a, a giant check to your courtside seat tomorrow for $25,000? That'd be great, too. Right? Like, Josh Kroenke is paying the fine. The organization is picking up the fine. And, and do it up showmanship, right? Oversized check and carry it out to midcourt and say, here's here's his fine right here. Like you like just want a car on the prices right. Do it so that the cameras capture it and the message is sent not only to Matt Ishbia and the Phoenix Suns, but to the league office that this is balderdash, that Matt Ishbia is not being held accountable at all. Jokic gets a tech during the game, which costs him a point, and he gets fined 25 grand a day. James, 25 grand or Nicole Jokic is like 10 bucks to you and I. It's not about the money. It's about the symbolism, right? The sure. symbolism of Jokic getting fined today and how he is held accountable, yet the new kid on the block, the guy who's been in the cool kids club for 20 minutes, doesn't have to answer for any of his actions. Well, and I think there's a bigger message that can be sent as well, right? Like when we've all been talking about the playoffs and kind of looking ahead and saying, hey, would you, who would you rather have? Every time anybody has talked about facing the Lakers, what's been the comment? The refs, it'll be five on eight. Yeah, exactly. They're going to get a terrible whistle in that series which is just preposterous that that's the narrative. Nobody ever says that in the NFL. If the Broncos have to face the Patriots, does anybody go, well, we know that's going to be a bad whistle? No, of course not. doesn't mean they don't miss calls because they're human, and I get that. But there is this perception that the the big market teams and the teams laden with stars and the teams that the networks want to see advance because they're going to produce better TV ratings get a different whistle – and if you watch last night's game, it certainly looked like, hey, the the NBA wants Kevin Durant and Devin Booker playing as many games as possible in this round, if not the next round. And I think uh, and that play just becomes the, the symbolic of it, right? Like, did it really determine the outcome of the game? No. If anything, it lit a fire under Jokic. I think he scored 30 points after that. Um, but it, 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 you can use it as something that's symbolic of our guy got a fine. Your guy got nothing. Our guy got a technical foul. Your guy got to sit there and, you know, keep watching the game from his cushy seat. How on earth is that fair? Use it to make a statement and to send word to the league of, hey, we're not going to get pushed around. We're not the same old Denver Nuggets that are just willing to be the Washington Generals and provide an opponent for the teams you want to advance to the to the later rounds of the playoffs. Josh Kroenke could certainly send that message. 303-713-1043 is the RamosLaw.com text line. 2262 chimes in and says, that's pretty tinfoil hat, James, that the refs have this thing rigged. Well, to 2262, I would say, hey, listen, buddy, go watch the Netflix documentary with Tim Donahue, right? Like, go go look at the corruption that has been in NBA officiating over the years, not to mention some of the antics that have gone on in the draft lottery. If you don't think there's suspicious activity in the NBA and they'd rather have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in round two than the guy from Serbia who's not in a single commercial, you're kidding yourself. I'm totally yeah. with you on this, James. Yeah, I think you have to have more of a tinfoil hat on to believe something hasn't been amiss in the NBA. I mean, give me a break. I think when you're... And look, it, it's one of the reasons why the San Antonio Spurs, the the would they win five titles? The fact that four they or five, yeah, I don't one, know the number. Let alone five is remarkable. I mean, they deserve so much credit for that because nobody wanted San Antonio A as a market in the in the finals, and B a team that is relatively boring. Their star player's nickname was the Big Fundamental. 
Oh, Tim right. Duncan, most boring superstar in the history of the NBA. <laughs> right. Like, at so, least Jokic has some personality, right? Yeah, exactly. Tim, Tim and, Duncan has no personality to speak of. And Jokic plays with some flair. It's not above the rim flair, but his passes and, and things like that. Like, you know, if you have any appreciation of the sport, you can understand how he's a just a different kind of highlight reel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, geez, I, I don't think I'm wearing a tinfoil hat to say that the Nuggets are not going to get a good whistle against the Warriors or the Lakers in the next round. They're not. Or, uh, frankly, they're, they're not getting a good whistle against the Suns. They certainly aren't. Right. I, I don't think that's – and you can you can go read the final two-minute report from last night's game. The league admits it, that, it was the, that they blew calls. Now, the Nuggets do have to take some responsibility – for what went down, and we can get into it, uh, you know, hey, who's at fault? But Nikola Jokic was fantastic tonight, but he tur- or last night, but he turned the ball over with a, uh, in a 123-120 game, and he missed the layup in a 125-120 game. I, I mean, all, all in the final minute of the game, like, it just can't happen, and it's a shame because he had 53 points, and he was fantastic, and he was really the only player on his team that, that showed up and played well from start to finish. But they certainly did some things. Hey, if KCP hits an open three, I think they were two for 18 on open threes in games three and four combined. That's on the Nuggets. That's not on the refs. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, they they have to make shots, and they made shots in Denver, KCP particularly in game two, and then he did a disappearing act in games three and four. Like, did KCP even travel to Phoenix? I, I can't even think of the play he made that really stands out. I know he scored the layup last night to get him to 124. Like, way to pad that box score with two seconds left, KCP. That would have been nice 20 minutes ago. Uh, on the Jokic thing, though, James, I understand the the two things you said are right. He turned it over. He missed a layup. But that's unchar- uncharacteristic. Jokic sure. is normally fairly clutch. I mean, it feels like time after time he makes these ridiculous shots in the final 15 seconds that we have no idea how he made. He's made numerous game winners in his Nuggets career. I'm not going to crush him for that. It just happened at the worst possible time. Well, he missed a free throw at the end of game four against the Timberwolves. That would have made that a sweep. Yeah, when when the wrist was still really jacked up. I think the okay. wrist has gotten a lot better. Okay. I, I just think, you know, as I was watching the game last night, and Jokic was in the category of I trust when he has the basketball. I expect something good to happen. So I was shocked when he had a turnover and shocked when he missed a shot. But on the other side, you're you're stunned when Durant misses. You're stunned when Booker misses. There's nobody else on that Nuggets roster right now that you have any confidence in. E- even Jamal Murray, who had a good point total, man, that guy takes a lot of shot- shots to get to it, makes a lot of bad decisions late. His fourth quarter play in both games three and game four uh, was was just dismal. Michael Porter Jr. was not particularly good offensively last night. I did think he hit the boards well and played some semblance of defense. But, yeah, it was a disappearing act, and it looked like a team that isn't quite ready for the moment, to be honest with you. Well, I'm glad you transitioned us into the X's and O's of the actual basketball as opposed to the Jokic-Ishbia saga um, that, again, is dominating the headlines. Just a quick reset on the news there. Jokic will not be suspended. That came out in the last couple hours. He will be fined $25,000. Everyone will play Game 5 tomorrow night, and we can all move on with our lives. But you're right, James. In terms of Porter, Gordon, Murray... All disappointing last night, and that's not even including KCP and Bruce Brown, who were both disappointing as well. But out of the big three, outside of Jokic, who needs to step up the most moving forward, and who was the most disappointing last night? Porter, Gordon, Murray. I'm going to go with Aaron Gordon. 
And look, I, Jamal had decent numbers. You know, he, he took too many shots. He missed too many shots. He dribbles around too much. But uh, at least he's at least he's trying to answer the bell. He doesn't seem like the moment is too big for him. Michael Porter Jr. gets a little. Uh, he, it's like he's playing on the uh, uh, the All Star team with Michael Jordan and crew, and he's Isaiah Thomas. Like they just don't pass him the ball at times. So he didn't do much with it last night when he got it, but. He just is kind of frozen out. I thought he did a really good job on the glass. I'm more disappointed in Aaron Gordon for three reasons. The Timberwolves started started this game plan, and the Suns are doing it to some extent, just daring him to shoot. Just saying, you know what, we're going to give you open jump shots. You can't make them. When he made them in game one, the Nuggets won in a blowout. When he hasn't made them since, every game has been a struggle or a loss. So offensively, he needs to be better. I think on the glass, he needs to be somebody who's dominating, and I just don't feel like he has been. I feel like every rebound is either Jokic or Porter. I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of how many he had last night. He had six last night, six. Okay, six rebounds. Like, he's getting out-rebounded by Michael Porter Jr.? Yeah, who who had ten? Who had ten last night? Yep. Uh, So that's a problem. And then the other issue with this, and we hear all the time, uh, you know, Aaron Gordon, great defensive player. Aaron Gordon, the guy you can put on people – whether they had him on Booker or whether they had him on Durant, he was no answer. And those guys are tough to, tough to defend, but you have to do a couple of things, Will. You have to make them really work for shots and wear themselves out. The fact that Devin Booker's making 80% of his shots tells you he ain't having to work very hard for him. And two, you can't let them get to the spot they want to get to. If Kevin Durant's making shooting elbow jumpers, he's going to make almost every shot he takes. You have to get him out of their comfort zone a little bit, whether it's make him go left, make him shoot it a little farther out, make him shoot it from a different angle, whatever the case may be. I thought he was bad in all three ways, shooting, rebounding, and defense last night. He's got to be better, in, I think, in all three of them for the Nuggets to win tomorrow night. So I'm going to point the finger at Aaron Gordon, a guy who doesn't get a lot of criticism in this town. Mm, I, I would tend to agree with you on the shooting and rebounding. I thought his defense was pretty darn excellent in game three. I thought it was fine last night. That second foul, though, that that just sort of set the whole tone of, like, you're not allowed to breathe on Kevin Durant, right? Because Durant pushes off on Gordon. That's the only contact on the entire play. And who? what do you know? It's Tony Brothers who gets him sent to the bench. And that kind of messed with Malone's rotations because Gordon was in foul trouble the entire night. And I think it it, it is unfair to Gordon that he can't be as physical as he needs to be because, again, he's afraid if he gets within six inches of these guys, the phantom whistle's going to blow. So that's where I won't – I think the offensive stuff is totally fair. I think the rebounding stuff is totally fair. I thought the defense was actually really solid in Game 3, and I thought it was fine last night with a big asterisk that that second foul sort of threw the whole thing off, and Gordon was worried literally the whole time that if I get within inches of this guy, Tony Brothers is going to find a phantom way to, to blow his whistle. I'll give you that the that the whistle, the second foul, it, it does change the tenor of the game. I, I think that's impossible to argue, so I'll, I'll concede that point. I just think whoever's guarding Kevin Durant and whoever is guarding Devin Booker needs to do those things I was just mentioning, right? Make him work harder, make him shoot the ball from somewhere other than their spots. And the other part of it is they need to play way better off-ball defense, right? Like they need to make it more difficult to get to get the basketball to those two guys. If the ball is in the hands of anybody else, the Nuggets need to make it to where, okay, that's where it stays. So I get it. Shamit made some shots last night, and I don't think doubling to just give up wide-open threes is the way to do it. 
I think you got to play better defense, in particularly if you're Aaron Gordon, and not allow Devin Booker and Kevin Durant to get the ball in their hands as easily. Yeah, I think that's all totally, totally fair because it, it comes down to if Landry Shamit is going to hit, what did he hit last night? Four threes? Something like that? Four in the fourth Four quarter. in the fourth quarter. Like every time. Like my dad texts me, who is this Shamit dude? And there was some that's more. That's not exactly what the text Yeah, was. there was some more colorful language in it than that. <laughs> but it's like if Landry Shamit's going to beat you in the fourth quarter, that's just nug life, man, right? Like at some point, that is just not going to happen again and again. Landry Shamit. It was a guy who was not even in the rotation in game two of this series. Monty Williams had to dig deep in the bench to find him. So, yeah, I, 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 I want uh, someone. Okay, but would you roll the dice again on Landry Shamit? Because I would. Sure, especially on, in Denver. I mean, role players tend to play better at, at, at home. That's you know, They get the crowd behind them, all that kind of stuff. But I do think an NBA player, well, if you leave him that open, you're just asking for trouble. I mean, he's in the game because Monty Williams has basically said, hey, we're going to let Nikola Jokic score however many points he wants. We're not going to double him because when we double him, he passes out of it and we start chasing. And we're going to just try and outscore the Nuggets. And that sounds silly. I get it. But he has no interest in trying to win 97-87. He's trying to win 129-124. to 124. And so he went with guys on his bench that can knock down those shots. That's what makes it a little tricky. But, man, he's made adjustments. And we talked about it last Thursday when we filled in for Stokely and Zach. And I talked about David Lee getting hurt in game one of the Warriors Nuggets series 10 years ago and how desperation led to innovation. And they, they played Draymond Green more and a, a dynasty was born. The Suns are better without Chris Paul on the floor because he has the ball in his hands too much. And it's not in Kevin Durant or Devin Booker's hands. So Monty Williams has had to make adjustments, and Michael Malone has had no answer for him, none. What will he have in game five? I don't know, but so far, everybody thinks I'm just being harsh. Again, the guy in the red pants in the Western Union seats could have coached the first four games just as well as Michael Malone has. By the way, some uh, minor, minor bad news for the Avalanche in the last five, ten minutes. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have come out of nowhere with like a 2% chance and won the NHL draft lottery. They just won the uh, Connor Bedard sweepstakes. So he will be joining the Central Division for the Avalanche. I don't know if you have any hot Connor Bedard takes, James, but this guy's supposed to be the next Wayne Gretzky. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> NHL draft lottery news. Uh, hardcore hockey fans will know that. We're actually getting a few folks okay, on the text uh, line mentioning let me, it. Let me ask you this. I, when Connor McDavid came out, like that was uh, that was similar, right? Like you get, you, you're trying to win the sweepstakes. Yeah, like this kid is just as good, if not better, than McDavid. McKinnon was the number one overall pick. I don't remember there being quite the hype of like, hey, the Avs won the sweepstakes. Still, it's cool to have the number one pick. I mean, it's kind of bad, but if you're going to be bad, you might as well have the number one pick. Uh, this one is he—he's Connor McDavid. That's what he is. Uh he could be better than Connor McDavid. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, right. this kid's like one in a million, apparently. So that's he's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Have you seen some of the like records that Wayne Gretzky holds? Uh yes. He's like what, like one point five points a game or something absurd. I mean, it, 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 he's like secretary at the Belmont. He's so far ahead of everybody. Like nobody's second place isn't even close. It's like they're playing a different sport. All right, Wayne well, Gretzky. We'll get we'll get to see Connor Bedard for the next fifteen years, twenty years. Is that old is this kid? It's like seventeen or something. All right, that's 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 pretty high praise. I'm going to remember Connor Bedard equals Wayne Gretzky. I'm writing it on my whiteboard. All right, there you go. Coming up next, though, lost in all this Nuggets news. There was actually a sneaky big day for the Broncos. We know when the schedule will come out. Plus, they're bringing back an old friend. 
Ramoslaw.com, text line 303-713-1043. James, there's a lot of chatter about this Bedard kid. <laughs> okay. Four nine th- I'm not saying he's not going to be a really good player. 4934, you want to talk about conspiracy? The NHL draft lottery is completely rigged. The Avs are bleeped. Welcome to the Blackhawks dominating the division for the next decade. That's from the 8928. Because of one player. Dude, I'm telling you, this kid's Wayne Gretzky. Okay, so he's already better than Nathan McKinnon. Because we just watched in a series what having the three best players on the ice did for the Avs. They lost in seven. But this kid, by himself, is he going to play every shift? Is he going to get net? No. By the way, I misspoke. The uh, Blackhawks had an 11% chance of Bedard, not a 2% chance. I'm not trying to say he's not going to be a really good player. I'm sure he is. I'm sure. And if there's this much hype around this much excitement, people that clearly know a lot more about hockey than I do, um, I'll take their word for it. But uh, Wayne Gretzky is that's like I'm, I'm trying to think, Will, that would be the equivalent. This is the only one I can come up with is if there was some 17-year-old golfer at TCU and people said he's the next Tiger Woods. Like, you'd be going, come on, really? Like, okay, maybe he's the next Bubba Watson, Jason Day, whatever. Yeah, like, but we, we heard that. Like, people tried to make Rory the next Tiger Woods, and he wasn't. Right. People tried to make Jordan Spieth the next Tiger Woods, and he wasn't. Like, right. the, there's no next Tiger Woods. And there's no next Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Jake Shapiro just texted us literally minutes ago on our group thread. The NHL just rigged the lottery for the Avs division rival. Hall of Fame talent coming to the division. So you thought I was, you know, a little crazy here 10 minutes ago. We're getting all kinds of evidence from our friends, from the text line, from our coworkers, that this is a big, big deal that the Blackhawks just landed this kid. Listen, I like Jake a lot, but I don't think Blackhawks fan telling me that it's, uh, it's a great day for Chicago is, uh, is evidence. All right, man. We're going to move on from the <laughs> NHL draft lottery and bounce over to the Denver Broncos, where there was some news today, both on the schedule front and I think more interestingly on the Kareem Jackson front, James. He has returned to the Broncos on a one year contract. Adam Schefter broke this at about 2.45 this afternoon. He's a 14th year safety. Man, time flies. Kareem Jackson's been in the league for 14 years. Uh, what do you, what is your first reaction to him coming back, reuniting with Justin Simmons in the secondary? And and frankly, does this just mean Caden Stearns isn't ready or, or maybe more hurt than we realized as Mike Kliss sort of brought up with you and I last week? Yeah, my initial reaction was, all right, that's good. I, I like Kareem Jackson. And, you know, I think two or three years ago, you could make a, you could make an argument that he was the better of the two safeties. I mean, he had more impactful games where it's like, man, Kareem Jackson was the best player on the field. The two come to mind when he went to Houston, kind of his first return there and played great. Had a, I don't think it was a pick six. I think somebody else got the pick and pitched it to him and he ran for a touchdown, um, but just was all over the field. And then when they started 0-4 under Fangio, trying to avoid their first 0-5 start in franchise history, they go to L.A. and beat the Chargers, and he was fantastic in that game too. He's not the same player now. He got beat for a couple of uh, pretty egregious touchdowns last year. One in London where it's just like, man, just got turned around and wasn't anywhere near it. But a veteran guy, I don't think this is a bad signing by any means. I do think you're on to something, though. It tells us Caden Stearns isn't ready. The question is, is he not ready as a player? Or is is it the injury that Mike told us about? Let's hope it's the injury because that means at some point he's going to be fine and this is a transition Right? Like, hey, we're not sure Caden Stern's going to be ready for week one. 
Let's have Kareem Jackson there. We'll make the transition whenever Caden Stearns is healthy and ready to step into the starting lineup. Okay, I can I can be on board with that plan. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I think that that would be really smart if they don't think Caden Stearns is the player is to to fill that void. Then man, this is like the third year in a row they've parted ways with Kareem Jackson. He's gone onto the market found that there wasn't a, a, a suitor that was just willing to give him a, a multi-year deal at big money and come back to the Broncos because they couldn't upgrade, at some point that does kind of raise some eyebrows, doesn't it? Uh, a little bit, but, uh, you know, my close reports, it's a one-year, $2.667, million deal for Kareem Jackson. Uh, the Broncos also are somehow getting $1.35 million in cap relief from this deal. So Didn't understand that. Yeah, leave it to Sean Payton to sign a guy and actually add cap space, right? <laughs> uh, that's Sean for us, man. We always heard about those cap gymnastics in New Orleans. He's doing them here, here in Denver. And, and as Andrew Mason points out, James, I'll, I'll read from his article at denversports.com. He says, Denver secondary appears to be the most stable and productive unit on the roster. Simmons tied for the NFL leading interceptions last year. Pat Sertan was a first-team All-Pro. Slot corner K1 Williams is one of the best at that position. Cornerback Damari Mathis did enough after moving in this starting lineup to compel Denver to move on from Ronald Darby. I tend to agree with Mace. You say this is a little alarming that they keep having to bring Kareem Jackson back late. I think it's just adding more strength to a unit that is already the best part of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, but they've drafted multiple safeties in the last three years. And none of them, you know, whether it's Caden Stearns, was it Jamar Johnson? Uh, and obviously it's unfair with Skinner this year to say, oh, he's not ready for it. They, he hasn't been out there for a minicamp practice. But it's not as though they haven't tried to find the heir apparent. And to some extent, to Kareem Jackson's credit, he keeps holding off the youngsters. Right. So uh, like it, it maybe isn't necessarily a, a total negative, but I do think they've tried to address that position. Um, and they've, they've tried to do it, you know, middle round picks. They haven't sound like they've spent a first round pick on it. That, that's been a bust. But being the Broncos most stable position group and that that's not really all that difficult. Like who what other group would even be in the conversation? Well, I think middle linebacker, especially oh with the Drew God. Sanders edition. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Josie Jewell was good last year. Alex Singleton had like 150 tackles. Okay. Jonas Griffin had a lot of good moments before okay. he got hurt. Okay, a lot. Yeah, that highlight film. They put that thing on loop, and you'll you can watch it 14 times in 35 seconds. But uh, I mean, again, it, okay, that's that's your number two. I'm not going to quibble with it. And the other group has uh, arguably the best corner, arguably the best safety arguably the best slot guy. So, like, again, Secretariat in the Belmont here. Broncos' uh, other position groups are a bit of a mess. Real quick, does this mean Riley Moss is for sure a cornerback in your eyes? I think so. I think that's at least where he's going to play initially. I, I think it's uh, Damari Mathis' job to lose. They signed, a, and again, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name. They signed, a you know, kind of a Tier 2 corner to come in and give him some depth there. I do think Riley Moss is going to be in that mix, though, of like your third or fourth corner. Kaylon Williams is to me a starter because he's, you know, so many teams go three wide now. He's playing in the slot. But he's like, he's going to be in the mix to be first guy off the bench, next man up if anything happens to any of the starters. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I'm trying to think of who you're you're thinking of here. That is it the Traymond Smith? Is there that what you're going with? Okay. Go. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, like not a big name, but depth, a veteran. You know, somebody that can, if you have to, you can you can put him out there and it's just not going to be a, a, a total mess. I like Damari Mathis, 
And I, I know people, I like his tenacity after getting the flags last year and yeah. not backing down out yeah. in L.A. Yeah. He didn't, you know, most guys, if you get one flag, they just become so passive. And, you know, if you went back and watched that game, I think all of them are sort of like, well, how are they going to call it today? Right? They're going to let them play? Are they going to be really ticky-tack? And they were all ticky-tack, but he didn't back down. And I think when you're playing that position, clearly the athleticism you, you have to have. But, man, so much of it is just a mentality, right? You hear it all the time, the cliche of, you know, move on to the next play. He showed me that he's got that. I, I think that was, in a weird sort of way, that was one of the more impressive and encouraging moments of the season. <laughs> well, when you go 5-12, and 12, yeah, when you go 5-12, and 12, that is a depressing reality. All right, we will get to the schedule on the other side, I promise you that. And a reminder, we're hanging with you till 7.30 tonight on DST, leading you up to Warriors and Lakers, Game 4. So the NFL, the rumor was the schedule would be coming out May 11th, this Thursday night, 6 p.m. James, there was some controversy, if you will. Peter King broke the news this morning that some uncertainty about how everything was going to slot in, if they were going to be ready for May 11th. But Adam Schefter lets us know the schedule indeed coming out May 11th. 6 p.m. There will be a Denver Sports Tonight special edition that night, breaking it all down. Are you excited for the schedule? I I believe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you like to call it the roadmap of your life for the next eight, nine months. Yeah, I love schedule release day. I really do. It, it, it provides me with the roadmap of what my fall and winter is going to be. It, it outlines what I'm going to be doing for 18 weeks and where I'm going to be and you know, you get to brainstorm potential trips. So, ooh, it'd be fun to go to this game or that game. And, you know, you don't do most of them, but still it's kind of fun to daydream and it's a conversation to have over a couple of cold ones. So I love the release of the schedule. And all the people who, you know, get on social media and poo-poo it, like, well, then just don't pay attention. Go to a movie, dude. Like, it's not that big a deal. Like, if you don't like it, that's fine. It doesn't have to be your, you know, flavor of tea. But if if you uh, if you're like me and you look forward to mapping out, hey, here's the next year of of Broncos history. I love it. It's a I I I think it's one of the the best non game days on the calendar. All right, I'm going to hit you with some of the road opponents because, like you said, you like to talk about the road trips. We will get to the home opponents in just a minute. Obviously, you've got the three in the division: Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders. You travel to those three every year. But after that, there are five of them. Cause There's the Bron- a couple of things there. We want we want the Vegas game to be like October. Why is that? Still pool weather. Okay. And two years ago, so the original first year, I think they were in Vegas, was a COVID year, so you couldn't go. Two years ago, the game was on Christmas or Christmas Eve or the day after Christmas. It was Christmas weekend. Like, well, that makes it tough. Who wants? I think it was the day after Christmas. I think DMAC went to that one, right? He did. Yeah. So that makes it tough. Last year was the first time you could actually kind of plan a, a roadie to Vegas for uh, for the Raiders game. So you want that to fall October sometime. And with the Charger game, the thing to look at is, is USC at home that same weekend? Go get a look at Caleb Williams. Okay. That could be fun. Good point. And with the Chiefs, we no, know. skip it. I, I was going to say, we know it's going to be in December because it feels like it's in December every freaking year. But maybe a trip to Arrowhead in September just to mix things up, James? Well, they played their week two, 2015, when they went to the Super Bowl. They so. did. That was the infamous. All right, I'll, I'll give you a little trivia here. There was three key players in the in the play that changed the whole game. Who fumbled it? Who punched it out? Who scooped and scored it? Uh, let's see. It was Jamal Charles that fumbled it. Correct. It was Bradley Roby who ran it 
back. Correct. You got the two easier I'm ones. Say it was Brandon Marshall that knocked it, it out. It was. Brandon Marshall punched there it out. Go. Well done. Three for three. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great game. Remember we got that ridiculous article after that game about Peyton Manning can't even take his jersey off and the old man by his locker. Do you remember that? Like ESPN yeah. wrote some piece like that he was dying. It was like, no, his football career is coming to an end, but I'm pretty sure he was able to get his jersey off guy. That was a classic example of just the 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 contrast of styles, right? They're down 24-17 with uh, two minutes to go, 80 yards from a, from the end zone. And at that point, Gary was just like, all right, Peyton, go run your stuff. Like, you know, no more under center, no more trying to get you to run waggle. You go do your thing, and he leads him 80 yards down for a touchdown, hits Emmanuel Sanders for the game tying score. And what, one play later, they're winning it? I think Jamal Charles fumbled on first down. Yeah, people were killing Andy Reid for not taking a knee, man, uh, and just accepting his fate going overtime. But that's what happened. All right, some of the other road games. Uh, we will be headed to Chicago and Detroit. Some rumblings, James. Detroit could be a Thanksgiving game for Denver. Yeah, um, which would be fine with me because it'd be the early game. Yeah, so it'd be 11 a.m. kick local. Yeah, so that's fine. That kind of knocks it out. You can, you know, uh, start your day off right. Um, if, if that's earlier in the season, you could bundle that with a trip to the big house, which would be fun. Uh, Chicago, depending on when it falls, it's a, what, three-hour drive from there to South Bend to go watch Notre Dame? That's not a bad little football weekend. All right, so you're trying to tie all these into college football. Well, I'm just trying to make it a good ultimate football weekend. Like, Or, how about this? Let's say the Broncos play at Chicago week four, week three. Cubs game on Friday night. Notre Dame on Saturday, Broncos Bears on Sunday. That's a good little weekend. Now you're speaking my language. I like that. There you go. Uh, they will also head to Buffalo in Miami when they play the AFC East. Buffalo's got just a drubbing written all over it. Like that feels like it could be like last year's preseason game. Uh, just ugly from the outset. Yeah, and let's honestly hope it's in December because I know people will say, wait, wait, why do you want it in December? Snow weather? Because guess what? Snow weather could be the great equalizer. Yeah. You play I, Buffalo in September, you're going to lose by 30. You play them in December, maybe you escape with a 17-13 win in a blizzard. I think you're right. And even if there's just a forecast of snow, they'll probably freak out and move the game to Toronto or Detroit <laughs> or something. So, okay, fine. I, I'm with you. I, this is I got really nothing to base this on. I have a sneaking suspicion that the Broncos are going to be spending Christmas on South Beach. I think Sunday is Christmas Eve. I have a feeling they're, uh, they're Christmas Eve or the Christmas night, Monday night game in South Beach. That wouldn't be bad because, honestly, we saw the Ravens play there in September last year. Remember they had, like, that 25-point lead and then the heat caught up to them? Yeah. I'm fine with not playing in Miami in September when it's 110 degrees on the field. The Broncos had a game down there, like, 05. It may have even been the, the team that went to the AFC title game, and they just laid an egg. It was, like, week one, week two. It was during the, the, the Shanahan years where it was the same kind of thing. Just could not deal with the 98 degrees and 98% humidity. So you're right. You want that game to be later in the year. And then last road game will be in Houston. Obviously a dome. Uh, on the Zoakley show today, Zach By didn't know that Houston was a dome. Stoke had to correct him on that. I was literally on my couch chuckling. Um, but, yeah, they, they will play in Houston. I don't really care what time of the year that is. Houston's going to be bad regardless. NRG Stadium was built a, opened a year after Empower Field has a dome on it, and was built for less money. And they hosted, like, Final Fours in it. Like, yeah, Zach, multiple Super Bowls. How did you not know it had a roof? Like, uh, Right, exactly. They played Super Bowls there. They played Final Fours there. 
Uh, I don't think they're, you know, weather's typically pretty nice in Houston, but you're not doing that outdoors. I'm just giving you a hard time, Zach. It was a brain freeze. Although then he doubled down and was talking about, you don't want to play in Vegas in September because it's going to be so hot. And Stokely's looking at him like, yeah, that one has a dome too, Zach. Uh, the Houston game, look, you're probably going to see the Broncos win. Um, you'd get, the, you know, you'd get to see, who they, did they take, who'd they take, Stroud? Is that the quarterback they grabbed? Did yeah, C.J. Stroud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. moved up to three to take Stroud. So or, or, or two, two. Yeah, and, and so that that would be kind of fun. And it's you know it's not a terrible drive from there to College Station. You could maybe go see an A and M game. So you got to bundle these things together. There you go. All right, coming up on the other side. Remember, it's a bonus edition of DST. We'll be with you until seven thirty, leading up to the Lakers and Warriors. We're going to talk about these home opponents and who we think the Broncos will open the season with. A little bonus hour of Denver Sports tonight, or I guess a bonus half hour, as James Merrillat and Will Peterson lead you in to the Lakers and Warriors, a pivotal game for. Uh, we'll get back to the Broncos schedule. I want to talk about the home opponents, but just a quick, quick thought, James. Do the Lakers take a stranglehold on this one tonight, or do you think Golden State gets it tied up 2-2? I think Golden State gets it tied up. I, you know, it's, it's been a fascinating postseason but I don't know that there was a game that shocked me more than the Warriors losing by 30 in Game 3 on Saturday night. It, it didn't shock me that the Lakers won it. Right. First game in L.A. of the series. Like, you know, they, they stole home, co- home court by splitting uh, uh, up in San Francisco. But to, lose, to beat that team by 30 was uh, a bit of a stunner. I think the Warriors answer tonight. I, uh, Steve Curl makes some adjustments. I think he's tweaking his starting lineup a bit. Uh, I think they get the win and even things up at 2-2. How about you? Well, I do, too, because don't forget, Golden State has won a road playoff game in an NBA record 28 straight postseason series. That's a stat that gets more mind-boggling every time you hear it. It's crazy. And their two road wins in Sacramento games, 5-7, and seven, obviously saved their season a couple different times. And the last time they had their backs against the wall, which I would count being down 2-1 on the road, backs against the wall, Steph Curry went for 50. Yeah, it's, I just trust that team and their championship medal more than look the Lakers with LeBron and AD. They're they're kind of like the Suns. They're a two man team, and then it's uh, you know I maybe won't say it's a bunch of G League guys. I don't want you to get all upset at me again, but it's kind of a bunch of guys, and I just trust that that championship roster that the Warriors have uh, uh, much much more. Uh, it, not only the fact that they've won a road game in twenty eight straight series, but when they make the playoffs, they go to the finals. Like every year under Steve Kerr, if they've been in the playoffs, they've been in the NBA Finals, which is remarkable. That's pretty crazy. We'll have to see how it shakes out tonight. Obviously, because we know Nuggets Suns is going at least six, probably be a good thing for Denver to ensure that Warriors Lakers is going at least six. I think you want the series to kind of mirror each other in terms of length so that if you do beat Phoenix and get onto the Western Conference Finals, you're not facing a team that, that's sitting there with a week's week of rest in the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, those uh, concerns that the Nuggets would have to sit around and might get rusty. Those, those are long gone, James. Those kind of went by the wayside. All right, let's talk about the Broncos' home opponents. Obviously, Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders. Um, but then we move on to the NFC North. Pretty interesting because you'll have the Green Bay Packers here, obviously, for years and years. Ah, Aaron Rodgers and, you know, the Broncos beat Rodgers here in Denver the year they won Super Bowl 50. And Peyton Manning had a big game that night on Sunday Night Football. But that game actually looks more and more winnable, James. Jordan Love under center. Yeah, that one doesn't scare you all that much. I think that was the last time the Packers were here. It was, because it's once every eight years. Yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that game looks like one that might be an opportunity for Broncos country to uh, 
help pay for some of their other tickets because I'm sure Packers fans will be willing to uh, spend big on that. Oh, come on. It's, they will. It's May 8th. Let's, let's, hope that, let's hope the Broncos are 5-3 and three and the stadium's painted orange. No I'm cheese just, heads in sight. I Okay. It's May 8th. You want to wager coffee on what percentage of the fans are cheese heads? Well, let's see the schedule. If it's week one, then sure. If it's week 16, then no. I, I'm, I'm with you. That is another one that seems like it might be early in the year, so it has some sort of uh, guarantee of being interesting. Because, yeah, by but you get to late November, December, that could be one or both teams that are not in the mix. Uh, the Vikings come to town. Feels like the Vikings, obviously Justin Jefferson is scary, but Dalvin Cook has that sort of run out of steam. Kirk Cousins has that sort of run out of steam. They got embarrassed and they're not embarrassed, but they lost a home playoff game to the Giants last year. Vikings, awful fraudy to me, James. That feels like another game the Broncos can win here. Yeah, I think if you're looking for teams that could go from bad to good and from good to bad, look at teams that had a really good record or a really bad record in one-score games. Broncos had a really bad record in one-score games. One of the reasons why I think they're going to uh, improve and improve by in, in a big chunk this year. The switch at head coach is the biggest reason, but that does it shows you that they weren't all that far off, and a coach could make that difference. On the other side of it, I think the Vikings were like 11-0 and in one-score games. Uh, that's a team that should just come crashing back down to earth this year. Well, and with the Lions, the Lions probably got to be the favorite in that division, right? Which is kind of so, yeah. kind of crazy to say that the Detroit Lions are NFC North favorites, but that's sort of where it is. The Broncos will play them on the road. In case you're just tuning in, the NFL schedule will be released Thursday night at 6, so we're talking about some of the Broncos' opponents. We're on the home teams now. James, the New England Patriots next on the list. Obviously, years past, that felt so scary. It sounded like a broken record. Another winnable game. Without a doubt. That's a game that you just kind of look at it and say, all right, in really the three non-divisional games you've outlined at this point, the Broncos are going to have the better quarterback in all three games. I would take Russell Wilson over Jordan Love yep. at this point. Now, Jordan Love may turn into a player, but at this point, I would take him over Kirk Cousins. I, I just would. Kirk Cousins is a guy who puts up numbers, but... Uh, you know, uh, I'll take Russell Wilson all day long. I don't know what Kirk Cousins has ever won, so I tend to agree with you there. It, exactly. And then this is another one where I look at it and say, okay, I would take Russell Wilson over Mac Jones all day long. So the the home schedule, if you're looking to try and kind of stockpile wins, it, it so far is looking, it, it, at least out of the AFC West, looking pretty favorable. Well, and you're going to love my next two, the Cleveland Browns and the Washington Commanders. Again, so I think they have the better quarterback in both of those games, I saw a list today. I think it was ESPN put it out, and it was their top ten fantasy quarterbacks. Head to Sean Watson at nine. I mean, listen, Russell Wilson had a bad year last year, but did, did Sean Watson show you anything more than Russ did a year ago? No, he, he came dreadful. back from that suspension was awful. He was. He that's was, it. That's going to go down. We we joke. Oh, the the Russ contract's going to go down. It's the worst contract in NFL history. I need to start correcting myself on that. The Deshaun Watson contract will go down as the worst contract to date in NFL history. Correct. And it, it, right now, both of them look bad. I still have a lot of faith. I think even the biggest naysayers have to look at it and say there's a chance that Russell Wilson turns it around. I certainly would bet on Russell Wilson turning around before I would bet on Deshaun Watson turning around. And the Commanders, I don't even know who is their QB Sam Howell. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They were, you know, one of the teams rumored in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes that never happened. Is T Taylor Heineke left? Didn't he? I, I mean, and even if it is Taylor Heineke, like 
The, I, the five games we've outlined so far, non-AFC West home games, they could go 5-0, and oh, James. They that, could. That's they not could. that unrealistic. They they certainly could. Um, you look at the, the three division games, all right, you can go one and two, two and one. You're getting six or seven home wins at that point. Uh, that's not shaping up that bad. Sam Howell is listed number one on the depth chart with Jacoby Brissett checking oh, in at gosh. number two. No Taylor Heineke. And then, of course, you know it. I'm saving the best for last. The last <laughs> team on this list, the ninth home game. Remember, when the NFL shifted to 17, you now play nine road games one year, nine home games the next year. Nathaniel Hackett, Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets, will be headed to Empower Field at Mile High. I, I still believe that's going to be the uh, the Monday night opener the week one Monday night game. If not, it could be a, a Thursday night game, week two, week three, to throw Amazon Prime, the uh, the New York City market, and throw them that bone. It's going to be early in the year because that's a marquee matchup. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's Russell Wilson. It's Sean Payton early in his career with Denver. It's Nathaniel Hackett coming back to the Mile High City. Lots and lots of storylines with that one. They have the chance, though, of kind of petering out as the year goes on. That has to be a September game. I just cannot imagine that it's not. Yeah, but I think, and let's let's put a bow on this with this. Stoke and Zach had an interesting conversation today about how many primetime games the Broncos will get. Remember, you're not guaranteed a Thursday night football game anymore. So you're not, you're not. Adam Schefter pointed out today, you're not guaranteed any primetime games. I think you're a little too optimistic that will be a Monday night game. I agree with you. It'll be early in the season. I think that'll be a 225 CBS or Fox week one, week two type game. I'm not sure the Broncos get more than one primetime game this year. Yeah, when I saw Adam Schefter's uh, tweet today, and, and that I was reminded of that, I, I think that could be that, man, they, they may only get one primetime game and maybe another game on Thanksgiving where they're the only game on A standalone, yeah. Um, but, yeah, because last week I was saying three, but I was including the, the Thursday nighter in there. I'd forgotten about that tweak. We were trying to remember, okay, did they are they allowed to flex? And I think they did land on not everybody gets – a Thursday night game, and teams can have up to two. Uh, so that means the Broncos may get uh, may get cut out of that. I, I think two two where they're the only game on. I think is uh, is a safe bet. Mm, okay, so one. I prime, mean, they still have Sean but, Payton. They still have Russell Wilson. Okay, but but you're you're burning your one prime timer. You're sticking with Broncos Jets Monday Night Football. Yeah, because you know it's going to get a huge audience. I mean that 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 game will get as big audience as any other Monday Nighter. That'll be huge. It's opening weekend, for one. It's Aaron Rodgers' debut with the Jets. I mean, that is going to be crazy. I just don't Right, think but they're... he can debut against 16 other teams, James. What makes the Broncos special? Well, and that would be they do. They play at home against the Eagles. They play at home against the Chiefs. Those are two games that they may look at and say, hey, let's put that on Sunday night football. So that could certainly throw a, a, a wrench in it. I, I just, you know, I feel like the other storylines around that, could make that the Monday night game, but um, I just, you know, I, that game getting buried. You're going to bury the New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers on a, a two o'clock game on whatever network. By the way, I don't like that CBS isn't the AFC anymore and Fox isn't the. Uh, AFC. I saw you complaining about that's that. A, Why that's do you silly? That's such a James Merrillat yells at the cloud. Why do you care? Because I, I, I'd like to get to know the crews, and you know, oh, it's an NFC game. We got the Fox guys in town. It could be stink on the call this week. Like. I just like when there's – it's been that way forever, all the way back to the 60s. Like, why are we Why are we messing with this? Why, why are, Was it broken? Res why, why are we having to tweak it? Resistance to change, my friend. Don't you always like that you know it's, okay, Broncos, they're on Channel 4. 
You just know where they're at. You know what? On my cable, CBS is 654 and Fox is 655. I yeah, think, that's a pain. I think I'll live. <laughs> I think I'll be all right. All right, coming up next, final segment of the show as we get you into Lakers-Warriors. We're going to put a bow on this Nikola Jokic situation. It's tricky. And preview game five, frankly, a must win for the Denver Nuggets. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Fun to be hanging out late with you all on a Monday night as we get ready for Lakers and Warriors game four. Big pivotal one in the Western Conference playoffs. Sure, Nuggets fans will have an eye on that. And well, do you know what Steve Kerr's playoff record is? Just take a guess at winning percentage. Ah, uh, winning percentage. Okay. Um, one hundred thirty-seven. Okay, I was going to say on average he goes, you know, sixteen and eight every year. We'll say something like that. So that's like a that'd be six sixty-seven. Yeah, I was going to say that's a sixty-six percent. Yeah, so so give me a right around. I'll go sixty-five percent. Seven fifteen. Wow. Ninety-eight and thirty-nine. And every year they've made the playoffs. They've either won a title four times or went to the finals twice. So they didn't go in the bubble. The next year in the shortened season, uh, that's when they had all the injuries. They didn't go, and now they're there again this year. So of the last, what is that, eight years, this would be the ninth. It's kind of like, it's almost like looking at Jordan's resume, like those two years he left to play baseball. That's how they are. They're in the NBA finals every year. It's incredible. One year, I don't remember this, their second title, they went sixteen and one in the playoffs. Wow, sixteen and one. Who was the one lost to? I don't know. I so have to, sweep, have to... sweep, five game series sweep. I mean, that is incredible. I want to say it was Houston. Maybe got one of them in the Western Conference Finals with James Harden, um, and then they probably swept the Cavs. That was probably like a J.R. Smith brain dead moment. They swept the Blazers, swept the Jazz, swept the Spurs, beat the Cavs in five, okay. and they were up three zero. Wow. They had a chance to go perfect 16-0. and 0. How do we not remember this stuff? I don't know. Yeah. I, I had no recollection of it until I just happened to pull up his stats when we were talking about it earlier to, to make sure that, yeah, they had gone to the finals every year. That is remarkable. Like, uh, that is one of the more amazing playoff runs that, that I can remember. All right, so I'll ask you this. Let's assume, and it's a big assumption, I get it, but just for the hypothetical of this argument, the Nuggets – Find a way to get past the Suns, and we'll get back to that here in a moment yeah. in Game 5. Okay. But does that mean it is not dirty to root for the L.A. Lakers tonight? Oh, Be- not at all. You, you you definitely want the Lakers. and look that's- Because if someone else can take care of the Warriors who always go to the finals, then so be it. They, got, they got them out of your path. Correct. And, and I think the Warriors, a little bit like last year, I think they're going to get better as the playoffs go on. Right, they, they, just because their season was such a hodgepodge and guys in and out of the lineup, the more they play together, the better they'll be. I think getting them out early, the Kings beating them obviously would have been the best thing. I think they are the biggest, and I, th- I thought this from the, the start of the playoffs, I think they're the biggest hurdle in the West that the Nuggets have to face. So, yeah, if the Lakers can knock them out, and the Lakers aren't going to be easy, right? They're going to get a, a good home whistle. That building is just, you know, it's star-studded. I mean, this is a Nuggets team that... I'm not sure they're going to be able to handle that environment other than one guy. Oh, how are they going to deal with Adele sitting courtside, James? <laughs> I don't know. They couldn't deal very well with Ishbia sitting courtside. True. Um, it, it's just, I don't think Adele would hold on to the ball, though. 
<laughs> I just think that there there'll be some there'll be some challenges with the Lakers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis being at the top of the list. But I want no part of the Warriors. If I can avoid them, that that would be great. So yeah, root for the Lakers tonight. Um, that that Warriors team, man, they just they know how to get it done in the postseason. They just do. They just won't go away. They just simply will not go right. away. Did you want to face Steph Curry in an elimination game? No, a- absolutely not. No, not at all. Not that I would want to face LeBron James either, but I can't believe I'm saying this. I'd rather face LeBron than Steph at this point in their careers. Oh, I, yeah, and I, I, I think that's an easy that's an easy decision, and it, that may be you know the the number one and number two guys you'd want to avoid in that situation. But I think Steph's way ahead of him. I, I just think he's the guy that's going to go out there and put up 50 and just beat you single handedly. All right, Nuggets Suns game five tomorrow night at Ball Arena. Uh, to me, it's a must win. You can't go yeah. back to Phoenix down three two. That just has. Awful, awful vibes written all over it. That would be Suns and Six. So how do they get this done, James? Because the role players are going to play better at home. We know that. But what I want to ask you and what I want to talk about here in the last few minutes of the show is who on the bench needs to play. Because Malone made it clear in his press conference today, stubborn, stubborn Michael Malone, that he finally is going to be willing to make some rotation changes. Now, I'll believe it when I see it. I will. But if he doesn't, then he just flat-out fibbed today. I think we're going to see Peyton Watson. I think we might see Reggie Jackson. Vlako Kanchar and Zeke Naji seem like more long shots to me. But let's be clear here. This isn't just, uh, or excuse me, this isn't, oh my gosh, Peyton Watson's got to play 25 minutes. This is just three, four minutes here and there. Just don't lose the Jokic, non-Jokic minutes by 10 points. Who do you think can help fix that? And do you have any faith in Malone to not just play the same eight players tomorrow night? Well, I'm going to answer your second question first. I do not have any faith in him to not just go out there and paint by numbers. I don't. So we'll see. But he's done the exact same thing for four straight games. Last year against the Warriors, he did the exact same thing for five straight games. So I I don't have any faith that he's going to come up with some answer. I do think Reggie Jackson makes some sense. Christian Brown has just not been very good. Bruce Brown was not particularly good last night. The Nuggets, they, they... they need somebody that can bring the ball up and, and be a ball handler and have a little bit of speed. Jamal Murray j- isn't that kind of isn't that kind of point guard, and seemed like more often than not last night, Nikola Jokic was bringing the ball up the court. So I could see Reggie getting some time. I think he's somebody you could put out there and just say, "Hey, can you go out and give Devin Booker some fits? Just just be on him like a glove and just make him work a little bit." Right. I think Peyton Watson. It's the same kind of thing. Putting him on Kevin Durant and saying. Listen, just we need three good minutes from you in the first half and three good minutes from you in the second half. Yes, exactly. Just go out there and you are all over him and you're just making him because uh, you're fresh and he's going to be tired. You got to tire those guys out a little bit. But, Will, I do think those two make sense because I think to some extent Michael Malone's approach has to be the same as Monty Williams. Monty Williams just said, we're not going to double Nikola Jokic. If he scores 53, fine, but he's not getting everybody else involved at that point. Jokic, if he's got the, you know, the matchups he's been getting, he's got to go to the basket. He's got to try and be an offensive force. So it's certainly not him doing anything wrong. I think to some extent, the Nuggets have to do that and just say, we're not doubling Durant. We're not doubling Devin Booker because we can't have him find the open man and have Shamit hitting wide open threes. But if you're going to go one-on-one, you have to make it difficult, and I think you just got to come at them with you know different fresh legs throughout the night. Um, so I would say those two. Uh, Jeff Green has been so bad. I, I think in the middle when Jokic is out, I would give darn near anybody a look. I'd give Zeke Naji a look. Um, Vlaco. 
sure, why not? Right when Landale's in the in the game, it, I, I, you you take the chance there and just see if you can get anything going. Because uh, Jeff Green, I think he was he was minus sixteen last night. He was right around there in game three. He was dreadful. So those would be the two or three guys, Will, that I would I would like to see. I don't think you go, you know, ten deep. I just think it's a different eight. Yeah, but Monty Williams kind of emptied his bench, right? Like he did. No one had Terrence Ross and TJ Warren on their radars. Landry Shamit didn't even play in game two in this series, and then he hits four threes in the, the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I'm not saying he has to play 11, 12 guys, but if he's only going to play eight, he should play a different eight, and he should probably play at least. I think Bruce Brown obviously deserves minutes, but benching Christian Brown and Jeff Green for some combo of Peyton Watson and Vlatko or Peyton Watson and Zeke or Peyton Watson and Reggie Jackson or you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world to me because Monty Williams, James, he just said these dudes are sitting on the end of my bench. They can't be any worse than what we did in games one and two. Let's give them a shot. And guess what? It worked. That is a two-man team. They need to make them a two-man team, right? Like if Durant and Booker combined for 80, as long as Shamit's not pouring in 19, you're going to be fine. They need to make him a two-man band. James, you will not be surprised, but apparently Evander Kane just had an extremely dirty hit in the Edmonton-Vegas series. Oh, stunning. That's weird. And yeah, uh, imagine that would happen. What did you learn about the next Wayne Gretzky tonight? Do you remember his name? Uh, Connor, Connor Babble? Connor Bedard. That was pretty close. Babble? <laughs> no, not close at all. It was Connor, and it was the last name that started with B. I didn't go Babar. I just Googled this kid. He is indeed 17 years old, James. He's going to Chicago. He makes Kale McCarr look like a grandfather. He honestly, really? he looks 12. He's a baby face. And he's the he's the next Wayne Gretzky is what uh, we've been Dude, told. I hope he is because that means that means we'll get to watch a great, great player. Yeah, he's going to Chicago. I get it. But you know what? The Avs got a ton of talent, too. Uh, I, hope he, I hope he lives up to the hype. I root for that. All right. We'll do it again tomorrow night before Nuggets and Suns. For KJ, for James, I'm Will. Denver Sports Tonight. Denver Sports Station 104.3. The Fan. Hands up like a Baptist choir. Doing this damn thing all night. Let's go.